0: welcome back everybody to the luke beasley show it's so great to be with you on this thursday i am joined by josiah from the pondering politics youtube channel great to be with you once again
1: Great to be with you, Lucas. Appreciate the invitation. And I'm looking forward to pondering politics with you,
0: man. Absolutely. Let's do it. Well, as I'm sure you've all heard by now, a massive decision came down from the Supreme Court, um, essentially ruling that affirmative action programs in universities um, are unconstitutional. Take a look at this from NPR News. The U.S. Supreme Court has found that Harvard and the University of North Carolina's admissions policy violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. The decision reverses decades of precedent upheld over the years by narrow court majorities that included Republican appointed justices. It could end the ability of colleges and universities, public and private, to do what most say they need to do. Consider race as one of many factors deciding which of the qualified applicants is to be admitted. Um, and as was noted there, this has to do directly with North Carolina University and Harvard University, but we'll have uh, notable and profound ramifications across the board with this ruling. Before I bring in Josiah and we discuss further, here is uh, President Joe Biden delivering a speech responding to this.
2: We all know it discrimination still exists in America. Discrimination still exists in America. Discrimination still exists in America. Today's decision does not change that. It's a simple fact. If a student has has overcome, had to overcome adversity on their path to education, college should recognize and value that. Our nation colleges and universities should be engines of expanding opportunity through upward mobility, but today, too often, that's not the case. Statistics, one, one statistic. Students from the top 1% of family incomes in America are 77 times more likely to get into elite college than one from the bottom 20% of family incomes. 77% greater opportunity. Today, for too many schools, the only people who benefit from the system are the wealthy and the well-connected. The odds have been stacked against working people for much too long
0: so uh josiah obviously a huge huge decision um as it said another example of precedent being overturned um and a lot of the arguments made for this ruling in favor of this ruling more commonly heard um, on the right wing resonate with what i think a lot of people see on its face as a reasonable argument, which is why should race be considered in an admission to a university? But what has to be considered is kind of the number one writing of a wrong, attempting to address inequity, and um, walking into a situation where we don't live in a as people wish that we did, um, and would be great if this were more so the case and kind of this colorblind race doesn't affect your life your well-being all of that how you're treated type society if we could get there then programs like this would not be necessary but the situation that certain communities have been put in then necessitates certain action um and i'm willing to admit a lot of programs aren't Perfect, And there's a lot of arguments as to why they could be better or restructured, but something has to be done. And this is just taking away one of those tools to address inequality.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, as you said, like kind of with the Dobbs decision, which overturned uh, federal protections for abortion rights last year, this is a major progressive cornerstone, which has been overturned by the Supreme Court and has had decades upon decades of precedent. I don't know if it's to the extent of super precedent, but it had to be darn close. And to your point, look, I support affirmative action at the very least in principle, in large part, because as you say, we don't live in a colorblind or race blind world. A lot of people pretend that we do, uh, people who just quite bluntly are ignorant or they have a conservative agenda when they say things like, well, We ended slavery. We ended Jim Crow. We ended redlining. We live in a colorblind or raceblind world. That's not true. We've actually seen many examples, like with respect to affirmative action, that if you have applicants, uh, if you have competing applicants, those who have names that are considered um, more associated with the African-American community, we've seen situations where they are less likely to be admitted into college. We are still experiencing the lingering effects of slavery of Jim Crow, of redlining. And so to your point, not only is there an inequity, but the government, the United States government for decades, beginning with the founding of this country, helped create that inequity, right? And so we have an obligation morally and practically as a form of redress to try to correct it. Now other people will say, okay, listen, great in principle, but affirmative action has produced according to multiple studies, mixed results. You can find studies that say it's highly efficacious. You can find studies which say it produces results that are less eff- efficacious. But to your point too, if we get rid of affirmative action, what's going to take its place? Because we don't live in an egalitarian society. And even the president's own remarks—you know, he didn't mention race directly, but he was talking about discrimination, and he cited discrimination based on income. If you live in, you know, a—I don't know—a great like income bracket if you live if you're financially uh not just stable but financially um abundant right you are you are privileged in certain ways you are advantaged in certain ways in terms of college admissions so we can't we can't what we can't do i guess luke is is what i'm trying to say we can't turn and say we have a flawed program it's had mixed results we're going to get rid of it and then do nothing in return we can't let perfect become enemy of the good. We still have to attempt to do something. It's not enough to say you can't do this and we just got to hope that we live in a race-blind or color-blind or income-blind world because we don't. So now the question is, okay, conservative Supreme Court, what will you allow us to do instead of affirmative action to help close these iniquities? And they don't have an answer.
0: And uh, I agree with you. Let's move on to another clip here from these remarks from President Joe Biden.
2: Not going to let this break us. Thank you. Biden,
1: the Congressional
3: Black Caucus said the Supreme Court has thrown into it question its own legitimacy. Is this a rogue court?
2: This is not a normal court.
3: Should there be term limits for the justices, sir?
0: So his response there is, it's not a normal court. Uh, I think that's. <laughs> Fair, definitely not a normal, a normal court. bit of all. an understatement. Right, um, sorry, I had your audio boosted way too much to the ears of our listeners, um, but quite the decision and another, this specific court will have in history a whole lot of notable moments and notable stories uh, and decisions that came of it. Moving on to our next story And I do want to do a little bit, Josiah, before I let you dive into this, um, as you're going to present it, a little bit of a disclaimer, everyone. If you are not able to handle Max cringe, Max uh, nausea while hearing a story and your entire body to experience ick as an emotion and feeling, then maybe this segment's not for you because it's pretty dang disgusting and disturbing. Uh, With that being said, take it away.
1: Appreciate the segue there, Luke. So Luke said cringe and Luke said ick, so that should be your clue that we're about to talk about the former president of the United States, the current leader of the Republican Party, and the potential president again in 2024, Donald Trump. What are we talking about? Because there's a lot of gross and ick qualities to the former president. One of the worst is that his propensity towards objectifying women and making all sorts of inappropriate comments and very often actions towards women. And he's had a long history of doing that in his private life, uh, in his public life. But a story recently broke about a former Trump administration official. I'll say that again, a former Trump administration official, Miles Taylor, somebody who worked for Donald Trump in his capacity as the sitting president of the United States. And in this book called Blowback, he lists a number of examples and a number of anecdotes, a number of recollections in which Donald Trump made wildly inappropriate remarks about women in the Trump administration. But arguably the worst is that one of the women that he made comments about, lascivious, disgusting comments, was his own daughter, Ivanka Trump. So we've got a Newsweek article. i um, going to pull that up if you don't mind, Luke. And so Taylor, Miles Taylor, former chief of staff at the Department of Homeland Security, described several incidents that made women in the Trump administration uncomfortable in this upcoming book. These incidents included, the book says, Claims by aides that Trump made lewd comments about his daughter, Ivanka's appearance, and talked about what it might be like to have sex with her. This prompted a rebuke from his chief of staff, John Kelly. Scroll down a bit and kind of dive into that. And again, (laughs) brace yourselves for maximum, maximum cringe. So according to Blowback, the book, the worst of Trump's behavior was Trump's lewd comments about his own daughter. Aides said he remarked about Ivanka Trump's breasts, her backside. And what it might be like to have sex with her, remarks that once led John Kelly, the White House chief of staff at the time, to remind the president that Ivanka was his daughter. Afterward, Kelly retold that story to me in visible disgust. Trump, he said, was a very, very evil man. Now, again, I think some (sighs) of this is probably not surprising, Luke, given Trump's history and given the fact that. You know, I mean, even as we're talking about it, I think we can recall some instances even before Trump became president in which he made some really weird comments about Ivanka, very often in Ivanka's own presence. So uh, what do you think about this?
0: Yeah. Uh, the underlying reality there that Trump says these things, feels these way, expresses these things – oh, sorry, hit my mic there um, – about his – about anyone – and about his own daughter, is disturbing, disgusting, or at least that Miles Taylor is alleging this. But his, I guess you could call them accusations, or the stories that Miles Taylor is outlining there, are a lot more believable because of the past that we're aware of with Donald Trump. And I'll just segue into a clip I know we're going to get to of some things, as Josiah mentioned, before Trump was president, that again, already started to make clear in our mind how disgusting Donald Trump was, especially towards his daughter. Take a look at this.
3: Yet at times, his fatherly praise is downright cringeworthy, like on The View in 2006.
1: I said that if Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her.
3: (laughs) so weird. Stop (laughs) You know what? You are Far from protecting his daughter from being talked about as a sex object, he has encouraged it multiple times on Howard Stern's radio show in 2004 and then again in 2006.
2: By the way, your daughter, she's beautiful. Can I say this? A piece of ass.
1: She looks more voluptuous than ever. She's actually always been very voluptuous. She's (laughs) tall. She's almost six feet tall.
3: In May, Ivanka described herself as a
1: feminist while defending her father on-
0: Okay, we'll stop it there. But, uh, yeah, my goodness, getting nauseous. So, to me, obviously, about Trump as a person, this is notable. But also about, once again, a point that just is time and time again, uh, clearly and, uh, you know, incapable of ignoringly <laughs> in our faces... Which is that the line from the party of family values, that they were the party of family values, that they cared about these uh, certain values that people should abide by or at least strive to be in uh, alignment with, all of that was BS. That was nothing. Not at all. It was only a way to justify often judgment of other people who they said don't fit into those family values often LGBTQ people. Oh, we're allowed to be bigoted towards you because you don't fall into our family values. Well, clearly you don't even care about your family values, so don't be trying to force your um, distorted views on on other people um, in a hateful manner. Because this is your guy. This is your guy talking about yeah. the voluptuousness of his daughter, and apparently, allegedly fantasizing about sexual acts with her.
1: Yeah, so the the, the frustrating thing is, once again, it, it underscores one of the many, many, many manifestations of the Republican Party's hypocrisy. As you say, this is a party that has long touted itself as the party of Jesus Christ and Christian principles and family values. And yet for the past, it's 2023, so the past seven or eight years, they have essentially sworn fealty to A man who has absolutely nothing in common with Jesus Christ or his teachings, who once famously said, by the way, that he's never had to ask God for forgiveness, which would be a strange thing for a Christian to say, number one. Number two, you're talking about a serial philanderer and now a person who – like. Who repeatedly makes incestuous remarks about his own daughter meanwhile you're hyper focusing on the relationship that's made between two consenting adults of the same gender or the same sex that's a betrayal of family values but you lusting after your daughter after repeatedly cheating on your wife after 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 and so on and so forth it's disgusting and yet there's been no introspection, Luke, to this day. They have doubled down on the claiming the idea that they're the party of family values despite who their leader is and despite the number of instances in which republican officials on local, state, and federal level have either been charged or convicted of crimes of a wildly unfamily value like nature. So, this is something that I think for me personally, I wish Democrats and their surrogates um in the media would more aggressively push back on it's not enough that what they're saying in a vacuum what many republicans say in a vacuum what donald trump himself says in a vacuum about the lgbtq community it, it's it's by in and of itself disgusting but then when you combine it with instances like this i want democrats to push back and like on what basis do you and your leaders have any claim to the notion that you're the party of family values. You're clearly not.
0: And a lot of times this is a relatively um, okay strategy in certain situations to ignore the talking points of the other side in that you don't want to allow them to take the conversation to the battleground that they have kind of um, a prepped set of talking points about, right? So not engaging with certain talking points can sometimes be effective. But I think Democrats should do a better job of, addressing the talking points and actually more than just saying that's not actually something you authentically buy into or that's not a consistent set of principles saying we embody what you say that you embody much more than you do and you're wrapping all this up with a bunch of hypocrisy because um the democratic party talking about family values number one family values doesn't mean at all that you raise your kids to hate other people because they're different And Family Values also says maybe the government has an interest in properly investing in your child's education, properly investing in your community, in communities of poverty who are, uh, you know, higher rates of poverty and child care for your kids, making sure they're not uh, food insecure. That falls into party of Family Values to me. And I think as much as possible, similar to the We're for protecting the kids, but don't want to address the leading cause of death in the United States for kids, being firearms. To take the talking point, take the branding and say, not only are you not being honest in the pushing of this. Right. But we actually live up to what should be the value you're pushing for.
1: 100%.
0: Sorry, I just accidentally threw up our next story. Um, Speaking of our next story, Ron DeSantis... The Sanctimonious. Ron. De De
1: Sanctimonious. Yep. Ron. The Sanctimonious. Luke. Oh, I knew uh, you were going to talk about Meatball
0: him. Meatball Ron, Tiny D, whichever one of Trump's uh, nicknames for DeSantis you want to use, appeared on Fox News or the Fox propaganda network, as my friend here, Josiah, calls it, right? And uh, got asked about. Something very popular right now within the GOP, which is the idea of just getting rid of abolishing different agencies, defunding them in the case of the FBI and DOJ, and then some just abolish uh, Matt Gaetz has called for the abolition of the ATF and others. And Ron DeSantis says, heck yeah, I want to get rid of some federal agencies if I were president and I'll list them. And if I can't get rid of them, here's what I'll do instead. Take a look at this.
3: Are you in favor of of eliminating any agencies i know conservatives in the past have talked about closing the department of education would you do that
1: so we would do education we would do commerce we do energy and we would do irs and so if congress will work with me on doing that we'll be able to reduce the uh, the size and scope of government but what i'm also going to do martha is be prepared if congress won't go that far i'm going to use those agencies to push back against woke ideology and against the leftism that we see creeping into all institutions of american life so for example with department of education we reverse all the transgender sports stuff women's sports should be protected we reverse policies trying to inject the curriculum into our schools that will all be gone we will make sure we have an accreditation system for higher ed which is not trying to foment more things like dei and crt so we'll be prepared to do both Uh, Either way, it'll be a win for conservatives.
2: All right.
0: Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So let me, uh, before Josiah jumps in, (laughs) jumps in and gives his thoughts, we would do, here's his list, education, and by do, he means get rid of, education, commerce, because why not, energy, and the IRS. So no one's going to come to collect your taxes, so we won't fund anything, which is great because we won't have much else to fund because commerce will be gone, energy will be gone, education <laughs> because of woke, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even know. Like, So I, I actually covered this story earlier today on my YouTube channel, Pondering Politics. Like and subscribe, please. And listening to it again... There were like – there's so much crammed into this clip. There are parts of it that I didn't notice the first time around when I covered it. So first things first, I actually got to give Governor uh, DeSantis – I almost called him Governor DeSantis. And we talked about this. Trump (laughs) has ruined his last name in perpetuity for all of us. But I almost have to give Governor DeSantis credit here because he only said the word woke once. He only said it once. I know. Kudos to to Ron DeSantis, to Meatball Ron, number one. But number two – when um when he was talking about uh he said that i want i don't want a department of education so they can't inject
0: the curriculum, the curriculum. in schools no curriculum. isn't that
1: exactly where curricula need to get be? all
0: the curricula out of the schools
1: what yeah curriculum has no place in school like what that's the place where curricula ought to be i didn't even notice that until the until you played the clip But yeah, the other thing, I mean, just like, okay, so no Department of Education, so no educational standards, that's not going to be great, especially when you consider, as we've often discussed, and this is just a blunt fact, but most of the least educated states in this country are run by Republicans. So if you have no federal Department of Education that will hold those states or any state to a certain standard, um, that doesn't fill me with much confidence, number one. Number two, the Department of Commerce, like, yeah, the market doesn't need regulation, says the man who right now is embroiled in a dispute (laughs) with Disney. You know, his biggest tourist attraction, one of the biggest and most powerful companies in the world, and he wants to defang regulation to say nothing of the fact that we've seen the pitfalls time and time and time again when the market is not regulated. But then the third thing, Luke – This and we've talked about this before. This man is so desperate to run to the right of Donald Trump on cultural issues. He is I don't see a path forward for him in the general. Most of America and even quite a bit of the Republican Party aren't interested in a president hyper focusing. On Trans athletes in schools, which is whatever your opinions on it. And obviously, Luke and I are progressive. So we have a very liberal view of it. But even if you disagree, it is relatively speaking a niche issue. Why do conservative voters and why should conservative voters in West Virginia and Alabama care about a trans athlete on the swim team?
0: And you're talking about running to the right and him trying to get kind of the Trump energy behind his his movement that Trump had in 2016. Look at the lower third Chiron. It says DeSantis need to break the swamp. (laughs) Wow. Really original, Ron. Really original. I'm not going to drain the swamp. I'm going to break it. (laughs) I don't even (laughs) Um, know how you do that. Drain actually makes sense. Drain makes sense. What is breaking the swamp? And um, to what you're saying, it's so I was having the exact same thought. Let's say, all of the issues he says uh exist actually exist which they don't most of the time either you're taking like three people on twitter and saying this is the view of the left or you're taking a problem that maybe is a problem but blowing out of proportion or you're just making up problems um, like they're teaching crt to our fourth graders and that is his message but let's just pretend that it was all true all the problems woke ideology it's horrible still that being the only thing he ever talks about makes no sense. Okay, even if things were being taught in schools that you really didn't like, there are also other issues, but he only talks about that issue. And then you add the fact that most of his uh, evidence for the problem he's trying to say exists actually doesn't really exist or it's being blown out of proportion. Um, and it makes it all just such a strange campaign uh to be run and one thing that i think people forget about trump's 2016 campaign is it had all the bigotry it had all the divisive language it had all of that but he also did act like he cared about working class issues. He acted like he cared about the offshoring of jobs. He acted like he cared about fighting back against an establishment that has allowed lobbying and big money to influence it. And it was disingenuous. Trump, of course, was just gonna go in there and cut taxes for himself and his friends. But he at least paid lip service to those things. And working class Americans care about that. And DeSantis is doing none of that. So he's doing the break the swamp. (laughs) With absolutely no message that resonates with people. So I don't really uh, care, I guess, even though it hurts just in any situation to see such a bad campaign strategy, even if I don't want the campaign to be successful, because he'll have to deal with the failure this will cause.
1: Yeah, the the whole thing, uh, I mean, to say nothing of the fact that the agenda itself is impossible, Congress is not going to vote to abolish the IRS or the Department of Education or the Department of Energy or the Department of Commerce. I'm just blown away that that's even suggested. But again, to your point, he's not even invoking the same sort of working class populism that Trump obviously, obviously never felt, but paid lip service to in 2016. Ron DeSantis has like carved out a niche where he's the culture warrior. And then the other frustrating thing though about that, Luke is note that Martha McCallum never pushes back and says, okay, you say it's a either way, it's a win for conservatives. But, Governor DeSantis, are are you suggesting that, A, you can only win the presidency by appealing to conservatives? And, B, if you do win the presidency, are you only going to govern on behalf of conservatives? And this goes back to a recurring thesis of my channel and a recurring thesis of the conversations you and I have. Why is it, Luke, why is it that no reporter who ever engages with Ron DeSantis ever asks them – Or him or people like him the same question that they would ask of any democrat (laughs) which is how are you going to reach across to the left or to left-leaning independents or democrats they never get that question what are you going to do to unite the country that's always the presumption made of democrats joe biden and every democrat who's ever run at any time or ever shall run at any time they have to unite the country even though if we really want to stick to a partisan basis There are generally more Democrats than Republicans. Democratic policies are much more popular. So if anybody shouldn't have to appeal to the other side, you would think, at least based on electoral math, it would be Democrats. But no, they're expected to still reach across the aisle for the sake of bipartisanship.
0: Where's Ron DeSantis' bipartisanship, Luke, and why is he never asked about it? And as you're saying, the second part of that was if I can't abolish these agencies, I'm going to use them reform them to try to destroy leftism or whatever to get leftism out of it I'll and it goes them. back to i'll weaponize the federal government against liberals that's what it is even though we've been told for so long the government's being weaponized against conservatives without evidence here they're campaigning on weaponizing the government against leftism and uh desantis said you know you should like me because i'll destroy was it leftism in this country in that other clip that went yes, viral yes and we, we talked about how imagine if biden in a speech He just called out the anti-democratic views of MAGA Republicans and went, but not all Republicans, not all Republicans, not all Republicans. And they were like, oh, he hates the uh, Republican part of the country. He hates Republicans. And uh, even mainstream media was like, did you go too far with that language? My goodness. And then DeSantis goes, I'm going to destroy half the country's views, I guess. um, More than half statistically. And mainstream media is like, okay. I mean, mainstream media was, I do think, outraged a little bit by that. But um, the other thing. Is the IRS talking point is one that I'm so dang sick of because the whole, not the beginning of this, because I'm sure they love the idea of abolishing or de- uh, reforming the IRS for a while now, because that would allow a lot of tax sheets to get away with tax cheating, uh, especially wealthy tax sheets. And uh, so I'm sure that was underlying, but it's definitely become more prominent since Biden and the Inflation Reduction Act, as we, uh, as we talked about increased funding to the IRS so that they could go after wealthy tax cheats. You need more resources as the IRS to go after um, individuals who in very complex ways get out of paying their taxes and are avoiding paying their taxes. The wealthy, um, those are the ones with the most complex methods and so more resources uh, resources are necessary that's what biden and the democrats gave to the irs and a big talking point has been no that was to go after MAGA republicans we have to go after and uh, defund the irs now desantis is going as far as to say abolish the irs when in reality josiah that makes everyone except the wealthy tax sheets lose because by funding the irs more we make more back in Uh, extra tax revenue. So we're making a profit on that legislation. And it's getting tax revenue that by law should be getting paid from people that can afford it. Where's the downside there?
1: No, yeah, it's, it's one of the, I mean, here's the reality. Government exists to govern, right? It's not a pro or for profit business, right? But if that's your motivation, if that's the incentive, and you think for whatever reason, government should function that way, then you would wanna protect the IRS because it's a revenue generating organ of the federal government. And by the way, the modern day complex federal government has never functioned without an IRS, right? Now, back in 1789, when President Washington was elected, sure, we didn't have a formal IRS, but time marches on. And in 2023, even if you were to abolish the Department of Education and the Department of Commerce and all the things, I have absolutely no reason to believe that any sort of functioning federal government, Republican or Democrat, could function or survive without the IRS. So, again, I'm thinking to myself, all right, Governor DeSantis, you're using a lot of buzzwords and like a lot of Facebook meme style policy prescriptions. But what are you going to do if you got your wish, if you could do all the things that you wanted to do, what would take its place, if anything, and if nothing was going to take its place? How would government function without it? And this to me, I guess, again, reaffirms what we talk about. The Republican Party has forfeited a claim to being a good faith governing party. And I think DeSantis's words here are reflective of that. He's generally seen as a more policy rich politician than somebody like Trump. He's generally seen as more competent, a more sophisticated politician. Um, and yet he is all he's doing is dealing trafficking and buzzwords and Facebook memes, and the most niche, you know, hyper right-wing talking points, they are not a governing party. And I think we just need to accept it.
0: Yes, and that's exactly the point that I want to make sure we mentioned before uh, wrapping up this segment. If you run on the government being broken, then it's very politically effective for you to break the government. And What DeSantis is saying here is I'm going to make sure certain institutions and entities within our government aren't able to function because they're gotten rid of, or I don't think he could do that um, in other ways, attempting to underfund these programs. And that only serves to show people, look, the government's not governing effectively. And that's exactly the Republican message. But if you didn't do that, if you did properly invest in these programs, in education, in the irs um then you could see how the government could govern effectively and it's exactly right the republican party is not um a governing party and i'll put a whole lot of money on i won't because i don't even want to wish into existence to say It's ever being president but let's say he did become president his big legislative accomplishment is going to be tax cuts for the wealthy. (laughs) That's going to be it, okay? (laughs) They use all these buzzwords, it's wokeism, it's it's this, that, and the other thing, and then it's just, hey, we're going to help make the wealthy more wealthy, the powerful more powerful.
1: I think that's absolutely the case. Uh, I think that it will be exactly the same as every Republican before him. Tax cuts for the rich. Hey, I'll even throw him a bone here, Luke. He might also want to get really creative and cram every judicial appointee with a young conservative ideologue. So it'll probably be conservative judges and tax cuts for the rich. A novel Republican strategy. We've never seen that before. (laughs)
0: Lucky us. Moving on to our next story, Josiah, you want to jump into this?
1: Yes, I do. This one is a positive, happy one that will – actually lower one's blood pressure, folks, it will make us happy, it will make us delighted, because it concerns Jessica Tarlov, the warrior, the liberal progressive warrior on the Fox Propaganda Network, especially since uh, I think Geraldo Riviera just got fired. So she is like the last voice of sanity on the Fox Propaganda Network. She is a frequent co-host on The Five. She is outnumbered four to one. In fact, that might as well be what they call it, four to one instead of The Five. But listen, she was on there, and she was handing out L's left, right, and center to her her conservative co-hosts regarding Bidenomics, Bidenomics being the phrase that the press used to in a pejorative sense like the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times refer to President Biden's economic agenda and accomplishments. Well, President Biden and the Democrats are looking to take that term back and use it weaponize it for their own benefit in the way that Ronald Reagan did with Reaganomics back in the 80s. So Jessica Tarlov and a couple of clips that we're going to play, she is defending President Biden's agenda. And for like the first time in the history of this program, Luke, her conservative co hosts don't interrupt her. Interesting, isn't it? Let's play one of the clips.
3: But Joe Biden has a tremendous economic record to run on. There's a nifty chart floating around social media. Everyone should check it out. The U.S. has the highest post-pandemic growth in the G7 and the lowest inflation. So all the countries we compare ourselves to, 13.1 million jobs created. So, yes, all the ones that were lost during COVID came back. And then we're gaining jobs at a faster clip than we did under the Trump presidency. 800K in manufacturing. There are articles all over talking about the manufacturing boom. We know unemployment is below 4%. We have 35,000 infrastructure projects. And before you say, oh, you're not going to see a bridge for 20 years or whatever, there are Republican senators humiliating themselves on Twitter now, talking about how excited they are that the broadband is coming to them. $3 billion going in Tommy Tuber- Tuberville, I think is how you pronounce it, you know, says, like, The broadband's coming and then Joe Biden gets to, quote, retweet him and say, see you at the groundbreaking, which is what he did to to Mitch McConnell. John Cornyn's been doing it, Nancy Mace, Elise Stefanik. These are people who voted against the things that their constituents are now going to get and they want to take credit and they don't deserve it for voting against it. 10.5 million new applicants for small business loans in the last two years. That's the fastest we've seen that that happen over a two year period. So, oh, one of my favorites, U.S. Consumer Confidence. Talked about that. It's at a 17-month high. I'm not saying that the right 17 track. From, months?
2: from where? I thought you were going to say where? 17 year. From, from where? <laughs> from
3: COVID. Right. You oh, think COVID, COVID didn't... Well, but it does matter when you when you say that he doesn't have stuff to run on. It's just not true. I'm. Not.
0: Mm. Don't so, you
1: love it, Luke? Don't you
0: love it? I do. Um, Man. What do you think? It's interesting as you said really glad they stayed quiet because sometimes we know the points that she's trying to make and we know that they're correct and should impact the audience but the co-hosts almost strategically seem to all jump in often enough where if you're not familiar with the stats she's citing you can't really coherently understand exactly the point she's making but they were speechless because there's nothing to argue with there and she's just laying out facts maybe they're learning a little bit um and it's something you and i've talked a whole lot about it's not to say that there isn't real pain in our economy and the underlying problems don't still exist that we need to, as progressives, we often uh, strive to address day after day. But when we compare the current economic metrics to that of other times, especially post a crisis like the economic crisis that COVID caused, it is stunning the economic recovery that we've experienced while uh, President Biden has been president of the United States. And if you want to say Trump was great because he before covid didn't mess up the economic trajectory we were on after obama's presidency and that's why trump was amazing then you must think biden's incredible economically even though we know presidents don't have everything to do with the economy and biden has done some things you can directly tie to some of the economic success and so you should really give credit especially if you're someone who gives trump credit way more than he deserves um and there i just love how they're just kind of like well what 17 months oh it should have been 17 years (laughs) like what's your argument you've been pretending and lying to your audience telling them that biden's running the economy into the ground when in reality he is overseeing and in part leading on because of legislative successes an economic recovery that as she noted g7 countries were faster, more effective than every other developed country uh, that we compare our economy to that kind of has a similar styled or structured, I guess, just comparable economy. We're we're winning, I guess, (laughs) on that front. And also historically, when you compare this economic recovery to after other crises, way more effective, but that gets ignored even by some people on the left.
1: Yeah. So uh, this is so... I, again i love it it's almost like a novel it's almost like a well written novel some of the the conversations that we have because they consistently hit on reaffirming themes and you know i hope nobody in the audience is displeased by that because the fact of the matter is these things can't just be mentioned once and then set aside for days weeks months or whatever we have to constantly reiterate this because every day is a political battle right now the perception in the United States, right or wrong, and it's wrong, by the way, it's wrong, is that the Republican Party is better on fiscal and economic issues than Democrats, even though the data is overwhelmingly clear that based on every metric you care about, jobs, GDP growth, uh, average stock performance, uh, you know, w- w- wealth gap, unemployment, all the things, Democrat, Democratic administrations simply are better stewards of the economy than Republicans part of the reason that this is the case is because facts don't speak for themselves they simply don't and memories are fungible right we can we see it all the time uh, this is not not exclusive to the american public this is just the public writ large because they have other responsibilities other distractions other interests When you have a slick propaganda network like Fox, like the Republican Party, like the modern conservative movement since at least the Reagan years telling you again and again and again in no uncertain terms that when the Democrat's in office, the economy sucks. And when a Republican's in office, the economy is great. Of course, people can be gaslit. Millions upon millions upon millions of people can be gaslit. And then when you combine it with the fact that, as Luke said, under every president, there are genuine economic harms. There are genuine economic uh, considerations. All of that is true. Um, so Fox is able to cleverly combine the propaganda and exploit the legitimate instances of economic harm to to weave this narrative. And what have Democrats done? I think Democrats have wrongly taken the approach and their surrogates that facts speak for themselves. Well, if you know, under President Clinton, President Obama. And President Biden, if we clean up the messes left by Republican administrations, you know, the facts will be there and the perception will follow. No, absolutely not. Simon Rosenberg, who is an ex-Clinton operative, I'm a huge fan of his. He was one of the few that predicted that the red, red wave in uh, the November 2022 midterms would not manifest. He has been saying this for years now. He's been saying Democrats have to brag and have to remind people about their economic accomplishments. That's how you fight this. And to your point, Luke, about the one time they did interrupt, that entire monologue was at the very end. And again, I'm just, I'm. It says something that she was able to get a word out edgewise because they waited at the very end, and they mocked the fact that Biden was able to make progress with uh, consumer confidence. So it's an improvement over 17 months. Why not 17 years? 17 months is still an improvement, especially when you're telling people that the economy is getting worse. That's the Fox narrative that not only is the economy bad under Biden, it's getting progressively worse. And when Tarlov says, hey, listen, it's not a 17 year high, but it's a 17 month high. We're starting to reverse course. They scoff and they mock. They are rooting for this man to fail even at the expense of the American people, including their own viewers and their own constituents. It's disgusting.
0: Absolutely. And uh, often this is done on Fox News. They'll point to public, op- uh, public polling, opinion polls, and say, see, this is why we're correct. As they're convincing people of the narrative that will then be polled. so a good example is on the election sometimes politicians like Marjorie Green and stuff will say it's okay for me to uh believe the election was stolen because a lot of my voters do because you and others convince them of it what are you talking about same thing with Fox News here I, I was watching a lot of the coverage um from a number of right wing networks about the really good numbers we've seen economically especially the recent adjustment to the Q1 numbers and They will go, yeah, well, ah, that doesn't matter because look at people's feelings and uh, how they're opinionated on this. Look at the polls on how people feel about the economy and people will say they don't approve of Biden's handling of the economy. Hmm, I wonder why that is. As you're saying that, on the air as you're pushing that narrative because no facts don't speak for themselves perception does matter perception is reality and that's what we're dealing with right now where again it's not to say the higher prices we're dealing with because of post pandemic inflation doesn't hurt it does and there aren't all these other economic pains it's to say that if you're judging biden's record within the context of what he could do he did a heck of a good job
1: yes Luke just took us to church, everybody. That was Pastor Luke <laughs> spitting from the pulpit. I mean, no, for, it, it's funny. The election thing is a great example because it's also like – it's like an Ouroboros. It's like, a, it's like a feedback loop. It constantly feeds itself. So Trump used the bully pulpit and his position as the leader of the Republican cult to preemptively cast out on the election before the election started, during the election, and after the election. And, of course, that convinced tens of millions of people irrationally, but that's how cults behave. And then Fox News would cite that, like, see, people, there's there's something wrong with our elections, whether you like it or not, because nearly half the country says that there's something wrong with the elections. Well, against a feedback loop, and, and they constantly use it to justify. And to your point, people like uh, Dana Perino, um, and I, I, I'll give I don't want to give Jesse Waters and Greg Gutfeld and Jeanine Pirro a pass, but Dana Perino also does the morning show. See, she's supposed to be. A one of the Fox News hard journalists, you know, along with Brett Bayer and others as well. So when Dana Perino, who is on the five, when these when these data points are being cited and it's pointed out because it should be pointed, it should be pointed out that the public has the wrong perception of uh, Republicans handling of the economy versus Democrats. Go, yeah. Right. It should be pointed out that that the the facts don't align with that. Dana Perino should be like, listen, they can report on the fact that the perception is one way, but then they should be trying to correct the record if they were actual journalists, right? So, like, if they were covering a story, I guarantee you, Luke, they were covering a story about a resurgence of flat earth theory, like flat earth has taken off again, and there are people all over the country who are increasingly believing that the earth is flat. Every journalist on every network, including Fox, would say, but the evidence is conclusive, the earth is round. Right. Why aren't they doing that, Luke, about it, the Biden economy? And because increase, they have an agenda.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. Sorry. Uh, the increase in a belief about the earth being flat doesn't make it any more moral for a pundit on TV to say that the earth is flat. Um, and the other thing that is just so aggravating is everyone, right, left, and center – gives Trump a pass, almost everyone, for the economic disaster that was caused while he was president. And I've said and I'm willing to more than Josiah is, accept the fact that COVID was going to cause an economic downturn. I'm not saying all the jobs lost were because of Trump. Of course not. But then a gargantuous sum of those people don't give Biden any of that same um flexibility. They don't say, oh wait inflation is worse in all of the other g7 countries than it is in this country clearly the pandemic and the economic situation that caused is the reason for inflation and biden's not making it worse in this country than it is um sort of having to be because of that reality but then the other aspect is that's kind of one of the um asymmetry of expectations we talk about a lot um you've termed that (laughs) that or coined that term for me Braid Martin. <laughs> yeah absolutely um and another example of this is when economic indicators are looking up or are, are doing better when it's a republican maybe because they push the narrative and then the mainstream media reports on them pushing the narrative but there was that one example we talked about previously of the associated press and the headline of the exact same what was it unemployment number unemployment under trump being reported on by the ap which is i'm not saying they're at all center right no no they're really good um journalists and a really good publication but just the way we think about american politics even makes the associated press report on the trump low approval uh low unemployment numbers as an incredible feat for Mm -hmm. trump and then ah but biden i don't know i don't yeah the the figure was like
1: four point something percent unemployment luke and when the associated press reported it this was pre-covid by the way Right. So this was when Trump was able to take advantage of the Obama era economic trajectories. Well, once it continued to squeak a little bit lower and lower and it was like four point five percent, the Associated Press was like, you know, uh, surprising uh, Trump administration accomplishment, four point something percent unemployment. Like the headline, the lead was relatively positive. Mm -hmm. And when Joe Biden gets elected and he gets the unemployment rate from like six or seven percent down to four point something percent, the same figure, it was like. Biden administration experiences experiences disappointment in <laughs> unemployment rate. And it's like it's the same figure. Right. The only difference is who's in the White House. And so I'm, I agree with you. The Associated Press, Reuters, and others like them, I don't think that they're conservative outlets. I don't think they're ideologues, but I think even they have internalized. Like we have even. Of ex- yes, yes, yes. We're guilty of it. This is something yeah. I fight back. I try to religiously fight back against because... That makes me part of the problem even to some extent. We have to grade Republicans and Democrats if we're being rational and fair by the same standards on the same level, and Republicans do not want you to do that because (laughs) if that's the metric, they will lose every. Huh.
0: You know, uh, just I had, we were texting back and forth before the show started And we were like, oh no, there's a story about the economy <laughs> We're going to get on a really long rant Because every time we do, because of how blatantly wrong Just so much of the way we approach this subject is It's not even questionable You go to very conservative, conservative economists They might have different reasons or speculation about why this might be But they accept, last hundred years, democratic administrations have overseen way better economic indicators than republicans and i would say i don't know the number but a small number of americans know that most of them would initially react like wait not really and it's funny because we talk so much about this is kind of like one of those toys where i've been wound up you know and i'm actually pretty good out i think in social settings even though i'm super political and even my free time is mostly spent doing political things um at separating that when it's going to be uncomfortable. I was sitting at a dinner the other night and someone said, <laughs> I don't like a lot of things about Republicans, but <laughs> I just, I know they're better for the economy. And I didn't even mean to, I went, no. <laughs> and they were like, what? I was like, oh, sorry. Uh, <sighs> and then I explained to them, but it was just like so aggressive. I was all bent up about it.
1: <laughs> yes. Because that's the default state. How many times have you heard this? I'm socially liberal, but fiscally conservative, because it's just the standard refrain of somebody Who's not politically engaged, and I I, I don't want to be clear about this. We're not making fun of the average constituent who says that because, again, I get it. Like if you're not obsessed with politics, perhaps to the unhealthy extent that Luke and I are, (laughs) I get how that might – how that reality might align to person because especially when mainstream media, conservative media are telling you again and again and again and again and again again that Republicans and conservatives – are better on fiscal and economic policy. You just kind of internalize it and move on. That's why Democrats and their surrogates, people, especially like Luke with his platform, myself, people, you know, content creators and commentators and pundits of various size, we have to be consistent about this. We have to try every combination of words. And that's why we're hoping that these ongoing rants, which we so easily slip into, that if those of you who are watching who are kind of on the fence You might be persuaded if you catch one of these videos at the right time with the right combination of words to accept the fact that if you want a strong economy and that's what's going to determine your vote, then in every election, you're statistically speaking, much better off voting Democrat. And that's my mic drop, Luke.
0: Mm. And that'll be the end of the segment for our YouTube segment viewers, but for our full show podcast listeners, uh, let me say to, to the effect of what Josiah was mentioning. You have to remember that if you're a loyal viewer, and I, I'm thinking of kind of the the profile photos and names of people who've been around for so long watching the show, amazing, and uh, some of these messages I know can be like, oh my gosh, I heard this last time. You have to remember that when you look at YouTube analytics, for example, and see how many people just aren't subscribed but watch videos here and there um, and even you look at the difference between some videos how many views they get and others meaning some people only tune into certain videos that interest them and there are people who are just going to catch the message here and there and that's why it has to be so reoccurring so that we get a lot of people's ears because it's an important message and uh we really do need to not just this platform because it's not big enough to single-handedly make this happen but as a progressive movement reframe the conversation and move the needle on that The next story I have for you um, is a rare example, Josiah, of hope that we don't get as to the possibility of individuals getting out of the Trump cult. And it's really good to see. So I want to walk you through this. Pamela Hemphill is who this is about. She's a 70-year-old woman who was fully, by her own identification, in the Trump cult. She was a cult follower, again, as she says it. And she was At uh, January 6th, she pled guilty to crimes based on her actions on January 6th and spent time in jail. And since then, she's come out of the Trump cult and is now speaking out against it and lending her services or lending her guidance to other people um, to try to help them. So there's this Daily Beast article, super interesting. January 6th convict tells the truth about Trump. He's a cult boss. She says, and let me zoom in on this a little bit. Uh, actual truth has erupted on Truth Social. It came on Monday after Donald Trump posted a compound falsehood. And what he posts, I'll jump over to here, is a little link um, to someone else saying, or he's responding to someone else saying, 69 year old grandma with cancer given more prison time for walking inside US Capitol than Hunter Biden for sharing classified documents with foreign regimes and multi million dollar bribery schemes. Obviously, as was said, that's a falsehood, Um, the accusations against Hunter Biden there. But Trump endorsed the lies with one word, horrible. And you saw that photo here on True Social. Well, Pam Hemphill responded to that and said, stop using me for political gain. And then discussed further with the Daily Beast um, about this. And it talks about, I'll just summarize for you, how she was fully bought in. Decided to all of Trump's lies again there on January 6th. And now is saying, listen, it was hard. And people told me for a long time, you're in a cult, you're in a cult, you're, I didn't believe it. Now I believe it. And I want to help other people, um, if they're willing, get out of this. And it took her being removed from it all and being in jail to really contemplate, understand. And then she talks about how she realized him to be a narcissist and all of what he does that makes him a cult leader and the followers cult followers. Isn't that incredible?
1: It is, that's, it's incredible for a variety of reasons. um, Not the least of which is the fact that, you know, typically speaking, you you would expect that um, she'd be entrenched in her ways, right? Because it's really, 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 really difficult to deprogram a cultist, right? And I know you've talked about this, I've talked about this, and others have as well. It's easier to fall into a cult than it is to get out. It's almost like quicksand. Mm-hmm. And the amount of effort that it takes is disproportionate. So it's almost like that's phenomenal. <laughs> now, Hopefully she'll pay it forward with outreach and advocacy and you know, work to deprogram others like her. But it's also interesting to note that the separation – so the problem is with social media being what it is and you know Trump being so effective at weaponizing social media um, you know with, with his I mean pre-twitter days when he was doing his Trump vlogs on his Trump website then Twitter then he tried his website again then Troth Central and others as well he and his surrogates are so effective at weaponizing social media and social media is ubiquitous so it's impossible to get away from it and so it's interesting. To think that i imagine quite a bit of the success that this woman experienced was because she was she was like cut off from the supply from the like the 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 conspiracy theory um you know train so to speak right she was removed from it and Mm. it's also kind of discouraging to think that okay we have a success story here but when you look at all the
0: factors no, no, involved. No, no. let's not stop thinking yeah. about that right now <laughs> I'm just kidding. i mean i'm just saying i just
1: like i can't pretend let's, let's just mean, pretend like, that
0: a lot of this is gonna I happen
1: mean, <laughs> no like yeah i mean i'm just trying to think of course my mind my cynical brain goes okay well how can we replicate this to any meaningful scale and <laughs> we can't right so it's like right so hopefully hopefully she has found a streamlined efficient version that we can market to the rest of the maga cult i think uh, we can do it luke we can do it.
0: When like, I go you know to what? Trump rallies? Yeah, now. yes.
1: That's who that's who we need to bring. We need to bring is Hemp Hill to the uh, Luke Beasley trips to the the Trump rallies and you can say she can she can be your co-pilot for that. Like listen, I have a recovering trumper right here who would love <laughs> to speak with you. <laughs> and she can give her perspective. Yeah.
0: So uh, I totally agree with you. The the sad part is you think Hmm. how rare is it that someone's able to be extracted from that environment as is uh, happening here and even people who experience the same thing as her many of them are thinking that they are this victim and they are um, still in Trump's cold and all that so it's not super likely and is a very hard to scale reality and process of deprogramming people and I do agree with the sentiment of don't waste time on a political strategy basis trying to get trump cultists to start voting for democrats that's just not going to happen go for moderates and voter turnout because there are enough democrats to win elections who just have to get out to uh vote but similar to you know when you're talking with someone i never do this because i'm always perfectly logical and i never have feelings no um, you never
1: talk to anyone I'm so, you said you no no i, do, do, this. I do this what i'm
0: about to say um, and you're kind of like they start giving you solutions to the problem you're outlining. You're kind of complaining about something. Like, what do we, What if you did this? And you have to say, I'm going to be honest. I don't actually want a solution right now. I just want the the sensation of complaining. And maybe later we can talk about the thread. Fledg-
1: they call it I just troubles wanna, talk. Yes,
0: I want to be heard. Talk. Right. Again, I've never done that before. Not yesterday. Not at all. Um, and it's similar to that. I'm just telling us this story and walking this uh, or walking through this with you all to feel good about one example, not that it necessarily is a representation, logically, of a larger thing. A few quotes here before uh discussing further. She says, uh, she became angry when Representative Marjorie Taylor Green I mean, that's the story of my life. I became angry when Marjorie Taylor Greene dot 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 anything uh and others spoke of her as a victim quote what's happened is they're using me like a victim hemp hill said i'm not a victim i pleaded guilty because i was guilty period i mean i was trespassing i had a choice i could have left and though uh she was disturbed by the ongoing trump mania He all those flags um it's getting a little weird she says just a bunch of things that uh sorry another thing just telling me all their victimness gaslighting she recalled that we've talked about but to hear someone who is in it say it is so satisfying because that's exactly what it is she wasn't a victim she recognizes that and she is being consistent with the talking point we've heard from republicans and all these other cases that will be widely publicized that aren't trump supporters of For example, police misconduct cases, and they'll say, well, if you just fully complied with the law, fully comply with the police officer's request, then nothing would have happened. And now they're not so pro-law and order, but she is. And she's saying, I was trespassing. Boom.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is that um, when it comes to, you know, the, the Republican Party has long styled itself. One of its appellations is uh, the party of personal accountability, and here you have a great monument to that, great testament to that. This is a woman who is taking personal accountability. She says, "No, don't, don't use me as a prop." Um, you know, I was part of a cult. I made my decisions as irrational as they were. I suffered the consequences, and now I'm free. I'm deprogrammed. I'm out of the cult. That is a refreshing take of personal responsibility, which you do not hear from Republican leadership at all, ever. Uh, and when you do, actually, let me take that back. You know what, Luke? Occasionally you do hear that from Liz Cheney, yeah, from Adam Kinzinger, Um, even to some extent from Chris Christie. And what happens you know, when they yeah, do that?
0: I was, yeah, what exactly. happens? <laughs> I was about to say, you know, all those people that the Republican Party chewed up and spit out.
1: <laughs> the rhinos, the rhinos and the losers. You know, yeah, those people who, who are actually strident conservatives and have a record indicating as much. But they've distanced themselves from the MAGA cult, and now the cult doesn't want them anymore. They were never like just complete. You know, that's the funny thing about this. Like, I don't know if Trump responded to Ms. Hemphill, but I imagine whatever credibility she had with Donald Trump as a strident supporter who supported his attempt to overthrow the government on January 6th guarantee you that now means nothing to him means nothing because she has now criticized him right so it's not just that they part ways the bridge is burned and then you go back and torch everything that you'd built together this person will have no credibility with donald trump and with huge swaths of the MAGA movement because she broke free and that's the frustrating part that's where it's hard for former trump supporters to make any headway luke because it's not Like they don't retain any credibility with the group they were once a strident supporter of, like that means nothing, right? It's revisionist history of the highest order, and they just become liberal
0: rhinos exactly. And the other thing is, when that can be done, anyone who speaks out was always a liberal rhino, doesn't matter, and people accept that, then you're untouchable. And when anyone telling you that you're in a cult and proving it to you with facts is what you're being told will be done you're told the foundation that's laid for you is anyone trying to pull you out of this is a part of the worldview that we're getting you into. And so then anyone trying to get you out of it just further verifies for people everything they were told was going to happen and it's the same thing with they're told all these people inside who pretend that they're loyal actually aren't and they're actually psyops and they're actually going to be a rhino one day and then it happens because in reality people realize the facts and speak out against the dangerous nature of the movement but for the followers it's all within the worldview that was structured for them very very dangerous we will wrap that up um or wrap the show up on that note. Josiah, hit them with your uh, channel stuff and you will be seeing more of him on the bonus show.
1: All right, Luke, I appreciate the invitation. Thanks for having me once again. I enjoy these frequent collaborations and I hope the audience does too. You can find me at Pondering Politics. That's youtube.com slash at Pondering Politics. One word, it's Josiah. And I look forward to seeing you all again.
0: Absolutely. I'll see you all tomorrow.